0: Skagit Talks is supported by the Associated Students of Skagit Valley College, representing students and organizing activities throughout the school year. Find out more at ASSVC.com.
1: If you've enjoyed Skagit Talks, we need your donation today. Please go to ksvr.org and press the Donate button. Thank you. It's now time for Skagit Talks. Featuring local news, interviews, and information from around the valley. Created with the help of Skagit County community volunteers. Now, KSVR 91.7 presents Skagit Talks.
2: Hi there, this is Anna Scott. And on Skagit Talks today, my guest is Liz Moncrief, who is a weaver. You make art by weaving, right?
3: I make art. I also uh, do a lot of utilitarian weaving, uh, weaving for home goods and wearables. Mm-hmm. But um, the art seems to be the most popular when it comes to things like the studio tour. Okay. we'll, we'll talk about that in just mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I read on your
2: website, because I don't know much about you, and I really don't know a lot about weaving, except I like goods that are made from weaving, and obviously... Material uh, Clothing was weaved many, many, many moons ago. Uh, It started out a long time ago. But you uh, have on your website that you're basically doing your weaving. I I just want to say old school. You know what I mean? The the Weaver's Way.
3: You want to talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit? The Weaver's Way is a trail in Britain Mm -hmm. that leads to a small community. And that community used to be... Uh, the weaving center of that area, mm-hmm. so it was pretty popular. Um, How long ago are we talking? Oh, we're talking seven, eight hundred years ago. Oh,
2: whoa! Yes, yeah.
3: yes, before the industrial revolution. So
2: when I when I say old school. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking really, you know, way back. That's wonderful.
3: Oh, true old school goes back 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. Weaving has been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But um, I weave on floor looms, and those were, were engineered and developed uh, roughly seven to 800 years ago.
2: How do you get a loom that's like that?
3: Uh, there are quite a few loom manufacturers out there. Mm-hmm. It's a funny thing because, you know, until you open a door in an interest, you don't realize that, that um, there are several avenues out there, several opportunities. We have a couple of well-known loom manufacturers here in the U.S., okay. and I have two of them. From a company uh, in Colorado, but I also have one from a company in Finland, and I have another from a company in Holland.
2: So, what's the difference between these looms? I'm I'm assuming manual, and what weavers who make their material uh, on a newer type of loom is it is it uh, electric?
3: Newer looms. Are, they're, they're computerized.
2: Oh, okay. In
3: that you design a draft mm-hmm. and put it on your computer. You design it on the computer, and then you hook the computer to the loom, and it essentially takes you through that process. However, that weaver still has to do as much work and setup as I would on a manual loom. You still have to wind the warp. Thread the warp on the loom, Mm -hmm. do the threading in the shafts and that sort of thing. So, you know, some people will say that computerized weaving is cheating, and it truly isn't. You're going through the same process and through the same work to get there.
2: But do you use a computer
3: sometimes? I don't. I actually have something that is called tempo treadle. That, um, that reminds me if I've hit the wrong treadle in my sequence or oh, wow. my draft, which I often um, weave fairly complex weavings that require 8 to 10 to 12 shafts, which means I have a huge opportunity to design different patterns. Wow. And I will have maybe 360 treadle shots in a unit, which means I need to hit the treadles 360 times in a different sequence to accomplish the pattern.
2: Are you counting the entire time, or is your loom letting you know you're approaching where you need to be?
3: Without the little computerized unit, I'm counting. Wow, and I'm using Post-it notes on a piece of paper, and you know, if the dog needs to go out or the phone rings, it can be a huge interruption because it may take you four or five hours to get through that sequence. Wow. But with this little computerized unit, it's counting for me through a series of magnets, mm-hmm. and it just lets me know if I've hit the wrong treadle or what my next treadle will be without using my paper and post-it notes. Okay, so I've got a question
2: for you that kind of takes us maybe around to the beginning. How did you and when did you discover weaving in your life? Well, it's not something that everybody does, although I have a great appreciation for the end product, but I think it takes
3: a lot of patience, creativity, artistry. How did you get there? My husband and I had always lived in the Rocky Mountain area, okay. and I was pretty well influenced by Southwest weaving. I was in Arizona for a time mm-hmm. and had always been intrigued by the Navajo weavings and some Hopi. And so one day coming home from work, I, I passed a garbage dump and sound the best um, two by fours in that pile and loaded them up in the back of my truck, brought them home, and built myself a Navajo loom, which is a standing loom. Wait, you built your own loom? I mean, did you have a
2: pattern for this? I mean, did you find it online, and here's how you built a Navajo loom.
3: How a you- Navajo loom is simply a frame. Okay. That's all it is. And you just need a hammer and a drill and some bolts and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. the Navajo looms that you might see on videos are essentially what they've been for a thousand years, which is a standing frame. So you put the thread through by hand, you pull it through. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's very
2: simplified, but yet very complicated because it's manually a lot of work, I would imagine.
3: It's all hand-manipulated. Yeah. Um, so many people are astounded by the um, the cost or the uh, the price assigned to a Navajo rug or a Navajo blanket. And if it's truly uh, hand-woven like that, you can understand the labor that goes into it.
2: Exactly. What did you mm-hmm. used to do before you took this up full-time?
3: I was with the U.S. Forest Service, oh. my husband and I both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was pretty well committed to my career,
2: Yeah,
3: um, being out in the field most of the time. My last 10 years with the Forest Service, I was a program manager. Wow. So I could still say to my staff, which I had 13 people towards the end there, um, Mike, let's go to the field and look at your project today. So I could pick and choose on the days when I wanted to be in the field and other days when I preferred to stay in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but early in my career, just on lunch breaks or something like that, I would always sit under a tree and pick up twigs and pick up small branches or bark, something like that, mm-hmm. and Just just manipulate them to see what I could do with them. So my hands were always somewhere in that genre.
2: And then it evolved into wanting to use yarn. hmm mm-hmm. And do you always weave with yarn, or are there other uh, materials that you might use? Because you're talking about twigs and so forth.
3: Right. I, I do use natural materials once in a while. Mm-hmm. I use paper. I use uh, sedge, grasses, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yarns. Cottons yeah. and silk, bamboo, uh, tensile, a lot of the rayons.
2: So you found yourself doing this uh, weaving even while you were still employed full-time.
3: Oh, yes. So I would it, come home in the evenings yeah. or on the weekends.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how, how have you progressed as far as what you now make? Um, you said that sometimes you make just something that's wearable. And so what's the difference between, and I honestly think that even the wearables are art, but what's the difference between that and what you consider an art piece?
3: You know, art is so hard to define. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that you can attach that term to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I, I truly don't call myself a weaving artist or a fiber artist I'm a a weaving technician, and Hmm. every once in a while I will pull out something that I I truly believe is a piece of wall art, a tapestry, or something like that. Um, I I know quite a bit of um, some of the old stories of the Southwest, of the natives, Mm -hmm. and I will sometimes attach that sort of myth- or legend to my weaving Mm -hmm. and develop the color scheme or the colorway. I'll develop a pattern. Uh, I produced a piece a couple of years ago that was my interpretation of a Hopi ceremonial dance with the different characters involved. And what, how I would interpret it in in a weaving piece.
2: How big a piece was the finished piece? I mean, what was its dimensions?
3: Uh, it was about fifty inches long and maybe thirty inches wide, and it was just my interpretation of that ceremonial dance mm-hmm. and the the um, the ceremonial mother who bestows her gift to her children. Uh, with the different footsteps and that sort of thing involved.
2: so interesting. My guest today on Skagit Talks is Liz Moncrief, who is a weaver. Where are you located now?
3: I'm in North Skagit Valley, Mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of miles west of Mm I-5 and a couple of miles east of Puget Sound. Mm -hmm. I have a studio at home. A uh, small studio, it's not a, a public studio. It's a private studio, but I invite people in any time they, they want to ask. I'm more than happy to show them my weaving, my looms, and maybe have them sit down at a loom and see what they can do.
2: So your husband's retired as well now? Yes,
3: he is. And
2: is he mm-hmm. doing something creative like you, or he's just t- tending to the house and the no, yard?
3: he tends to the house, and he tends <laughs> to the dog, and he's happy. To let me be the uh, the creative person. Oh, cool! He gives me free rein.
2: Well, that's nice. All right. So, if someone wants to see your work in person um, in the coming months, where will your work be?
3: My studio will be open for the Skagit Artists Studio Tour, which is Northwest Art Beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in July, and uh, last year was my first time with that venue. Um, will be open again this year, and I'm number two on the schedule of studios.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you have pretty good attendance last year?
3: Yes, good. very good attendance. I was surprised at the number of people that that came in. Uh, I think that my art might be a little bit different from the graphic artists that oh, yeah. are usually on the studio tour, so that might have given me just a, a few more attendees.
2: Oh, well, good. Mm-hmm. Now, you say you make wearable weaving pieces. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about?
3: Uh, Scarves and shawls. Like the
2: one you're wearing right now? Like the one I'm wearing. Absolutely beautiful.
3: I use a lot of silk and a lot of bamboo Mm. and the more precious fibers for things like that. Mm -hmm. I also weave uh, textiles or fabric for Mm sewers. I am not a a seamstress myself, and I I hate to sew, but I'm often doing yardage for people who do want to sew their own garments.
2: Wow. I'm really surprised Mm. you don't like sewing with the weaving that you do, but it's okay. It's just interesting to me. But, you know, you create this beautiful piece, and then somebody artistically creates
3: a a wearable top or Mm -hmm. dress or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I would rather leave that to them. They have better skills at that sort of thing, and and I would love to see my yardage turned into something that that has quality. Mm-hmm. And I can't give it quality at a sewing machine. <laughs>
2: so. um, the yardage that you make, the scarves you that, you that you create, are they washable or hand washable?
3: Everything is hand washable. Okay. There are a few things that can be in a washing machine, but I really prefer to say hand washable mm-hmm. and lay flat to dry. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to see your art on the studio tour, you said you're number two, and you're located west of Burlington and east of the Puget Sound? Right, so right.
3: I'm actually just off of Josh Wilson Road.
2: So if someone wants to see what you've created, though, I'm sure you have a website, right? Yes,
3: I do. It is www.allweaversway.com
2: Allweaversway
3: aweaversway aweaversway.com uh-huh. right okay
2: And are you on social media?
3: I am on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I don't do Facebook. I do do Instagram and that's about as far as I.
2: And how do we find you on Instagram? What's your handle?
3: Moncrief Liz. Wow, okay
2: <laughs> and how do we spell Moncrief because it's unusual spelling sure. must it's be French.
3: M-O-N-C-R-I-E-F.
2: And is it French?
3: Uh, it isn't. It's Scottish. Most people think that it is French. And, you know, they, um, they moved around a lot back then, so who knows? Yeah.
2: Well, I think your, your uh, pieces you've created that I've seen online are gorgeous. The scarf you're wearing is beautiful. Thank you. And I do hope you have a good turnout this year for studio tour. Thank you. And thank you for coming you. On, the sh- on my show and talking about uh, your beautiful weaving. Liz Moncrief has been my guest here on Skagit Talks. Thanks again.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: If you've enjoyed this program, you can donate today. We need your support. Go to ksvr.org and press the donate button. Thank you. Washington lawmakers have adjourned their 105-day session. The final gavel fell late Sunday night after majority Democrats passed the first state budget to go over $50 billion. And the taxes to go with it. As Olympia correspondent Austin Jenkins reports, the adjournment came after an action-packed session.
4: Democrats were once again large and in charge of the legislature this year after years of split control or narrow control. In the final days and hours of the session, they used those majorities to raise taxes, including on large banks. On the floor of the state Senate on Sunday, Ways and Means Chair Christine Rolfes defended that tax hike.
3: If we're not asking our biggest corporations to help pay their way, then who are we asking? You know what? we're asking the families of the state.
4: Republicans opposed the tax increase on large banks and complained the bill had suddenly appeared at the last minute. But it wasn't just Republicans who were critical of that and the other taxes raised to fund the new 52.4 billion dollar two-year state budget.
1: I think it was way too many taxes.
4: A weary Democratic a state senator Mark Mullett speaking in the Senate wings took issue with his own party and the level of taxation.
1: It just was an entire session of discussing what taxes we had the votes to pass. And every tax I could find they had the votes to pass, I feel like they passed. <laughs> so. But
4: Senate Majority Leader Andy Billig defended the tax hikes, many of which were voted on during marathon overnight sessions.
1: Well, nobody likes taxes, but they are the price that we pay to invest in the, uh, providing opportunity and
3: prosperity for the people of Washington state.
4: Billig said the tax increases would help fund a budget that puts money into early learning, special education, higher education, housing, and the environment. Republicans, though, weren't buying it. The taxpayers got mugged this year. Mark Schessler is the Senate's Republican leader.
1: There was no need for newer, higher taxes. And instead, it's going to be quite likely the largest direct tax
4: increase in history. Uh, Certainly, we would have had a different view on taxes. All told, the Democratic tax package is expected to raise more than $800 million over the next two years. It doesn't, however, include a much-talked-about new state capital gains tax. Despite the acrimony over taxes, there were areas of bipartisan agreement this year. The state's operating and capital construction budgets pour hundreds of millions of dollars into shoring up the state's mental health system, a priority of both Democrats and Republicans. In addition, several new laws were passed to address gaps in that system. State Senator Monka Dingras, is a Democrat who chairs a special subcommittee on behavioral health Her message to families is the state will now focus on earlier intervention and providing more resources in moments of crisis.
2: Do we have more to do? Absolutely. We have to make sure we're doing more in terms of assisted outpatient treatment, partial hospitalization, so there is more work to be done, but we have made lots of strides this session.
4: Another chief area of focus this year Higher education. Democrats passed a business and occupation tax increase that will fund free college tuition for families making up to $50,000 a year. It will also increase capacity for high-demand degrees, including computer science and nursing. Democratic State Representative Drew Hansen chairs the House College and Workforce Development Committee.
0: We've just taken a gigantic step to help families afford college or an apprenticeship or any way
1: you want to get trained to get a good job and get into the workforce.
4: But Republicans say it creates a bad precedent to fund higher education increases outside of the base budget. Senator John Braun is the ranking Republican on the Ways and Means Committee. I think that's, a, frankly, a slap in the face to higher ed. We find ways to fund every other thing inside uh, the biggest budget increase in history, and yet all the new things for higher ed, we got to separate out. we got to say, hey, nope, we can't do that unless we pass another tax. I think that's... The 2019 legislative session wasn't just about the budget and taxes. Majority Democrats passed bills dealing with nurse, meal, and rest breaks, limiting measles vaccine exemptions, creating a first-in-the-nation long-term care coverage program, and mandating carbon-free electricity by 2045, a top priority of Governor Jay Inslee. Among the bills that didn't pass, a repeal of the death penalty, new data privacy rules, and mandatory sex ed. The session was also notable for the large number of new lawmakers and their diversity, Democratic State Representative Deborah Enteman, who's African-American, says the number of women and members of color in the legislature this year changed the conversation. One example, she points to a bill that passed that changes the rules for when families are cut off from the state's cash assistance program.
3: We were seeing disproportionality, and we acknowledge that we saw disproportionality, and we are changing that policy.
4: A bit of legislative trivia, this was the first year in a decade that lawmakers adjourned on time after a 105-day budget writing session without going into overtime. I'm Austin Jenkins in Olympia.
1: Here's the national news.
0: The Public News Service Daily Newscast for Monday, April 29, 2019. I'm Mike Clifford. The NRA in the red and suing an important vendor. Also, on our Monday rundown, we'll tell you about an Iowa experiment ready to blast off with the SpaceX rocket, plus fisheries urged to let them spawn. Topping our news, Attorney General William Barr has warned Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee he will not show up to this week's highly anticipated hearing if they stick to the format the chairman's proposed for the questioning. That from CNN. The chair of the committee, Jerry Nadler, told CNN Sunday morning Barr would not dictate the format of the Judiciary Committee. CNN adds that Nadler wants to allow members of the panel at Thursday's hearing to have one round of questioning, but he also wants to allow a subsequent round of questioning, 30 minutes for each side, allowing both parties' committee counsels to engage in questioning. That has turned into a key sticking point for the Justice Department. Meantime, our Dan Hyman reports the National Rifle Association is in serious financial trouble and is suing an important long-term vendor for allegedly overcharging the group. The nation's leading gun rights group has also been an important political force for
1: decades, but its president, Oliver North, just announced he won't serve another term after an ugly public split with its longtime chief executive. Anna Masolia with the Center for Responsive Politics, a public spending watchdog, says its most recent tax returns show the NRA is badly in the red. We saw a $55 million decline in income since the prior year, and the NRA spending into an $18 million deficit, a deficit that they have for now the second straight year. And so we're seeing the NRA pretty consistently now spending more than they're actually taking in. The NRA is suing the company that runs its troubled broadcast arm, NRA-TV, and an article in The New Yorker magazine paints a portrait of huge salaries and extravagant spending among NRA officials and vendors. A lawyer for the group said it was written by paid staff of an anti-gun magazine.
0: Public statements from the gun rights group have largely avoided the lawsuit. An experiment created by a non-traditional student at Des Moines Area Community College headed to space this week. That when NASA scheduled to launch a cargo supply spacecraft to the International Space Station.
2: The experiment will help NASA determine if a common Earth algae could protect against eye degeneration from radiation, one of the first effects of prolonged space travel. DMAC biology professor Julie Gonzalez says the NASA project is one of many opportunities people may not associate with community college. It's not unique. There's lots of things at DMAC that are very much out of the box. Not what people really imagine or think of when they think of community college. Across all of our departments, there's always something interesting and exciting going on as well. The algae experiment was the brainchild of Lindsay Baker, who submitted a research proposal to NASA while she was a student in DMAC's biotechnology program. I'm Roz Brown.
0: And the deadline for farmers to apply for the country's largest working lands conservation program is approaching fast. More on that from Eric Tegadoff.
1: The program offers financial support to farmers who keep their land healthy through conservation practices like cover cropping and water irrigation management. Farmers who are interested in the conservation stewardship program are encouraged to sign up by May 10th through the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service website or at their local offices. Margaret Chrome is policy director with the Michael Fields Agricultural Institute.
2: This kind of conservation is important not only to farmers in the here and now and making sure that they get financial compensation for doing the right things for society, but it's important for future farmers who actually will still have soil on which to farm.
1: Chrome says farmers don't need all the details for their conservation plan when they sign up. The important thing is to get enrolled before the deadline. The NRCS plans to invest more than $700 million in the program during 2019. Chrome says public pushback saved the CSP when lawmakers proposed to remove it from the 2018 Farm Bill.
0: Law day is approaching. On May 1st, legal aid groups across Nevada offering free legal advice from the end of the week. Attorney Rhea Gherkin with Nevada Legal Services says seniors can get valuable advice on financial matters.
2: They often have questions, should I get a will? Do I need a trust? We also, though, have a lot of seniors that are facing debt issues, so debt collection, possible bankruptcy questions.
0: The first law day was declared back in 1961 when President Dwight Eisenhower proclaimed the United States' commitment to the rule of law. Finally, Arnadia Romligan reports North Carolina's fish stocks are dwindling. New legislation aims to increase the population of certain fish species harvested in commercial and recreational fisheries.
3: Marine fisheries currently operate by catching as many fish as possible, and millions of young fish are often killed before they've had a chance to reproduce. Consequently, populations of Atlantic croaker, gray trout, and other sought-after commercial and recreational fish populations have been depleted. House Bill 483, known as let them spawn before they are gone, would require fisheries to protect some species of juvenile fish until 75% of them have had the chance to reproduce or spawn. Tim Geswicky with the North Carolina Wildlife Federation says if the state doesn't act there will be no more
0: fish left to catch.
4: We have too many juvenile fish being caught in our sounds that don't have the chance to reproduce or spawn and grow to maturity. In
0: 2017 commercial fishing operations harvested nearly 20 million pounds of fish and shellfish. I'm Mike Clifford. Thanks for starting your week news and cruising with Public News Service. We are member and listener supported, and we're online at publicnewsservice.org. Thanks for listening to
1: today's edition, produced by Joseph C. McGuire and edited by Jay Charles. You've been listening to Skagit Talks, the community information and news program on KSVR, Skagit Community Radio.